The energy transition is a long and winding road, and it needs to be taken step by step. Learn more at SiemensEnergy.com. This is Barron's Live. Each weekday, we bring you live conversations from our newsrooms about what's moving the market right now. On this podcast, we take you inside those conversations, the stories, the ideas, and the stocks to watch so you can invest smarter. Now, let's dial in. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Opus Energy Insights on Barron's Live. I'm Denton Sinkorana, Chief Oil Analyst at Opus, a Dow Jones company. And joining me today is my colleague, Tom Closa, the Global Head of Energy Analysis at Opus. Tom, thanks for being here once again. Nice to be here. Yeah, so the official start of the summer driving season still a couple months away, officially, but it's never too early to start talking about gasoline prices and what the summer driving season might bring us, uh, especially people are on edge considering what prices were in 2022 uh, with record highs and all that. So today's March 24th, and right now, today, the national average is at $3.44 a gallon. Uh, we haven't necessarily seen that that seasonal ascent that we start to get at this time of year when you consider the fact that some terminals have already started to switch over to summer grade gasoline, which is a little bit harder to make, a little bit more expensive to make. So right now, still well below year ago levels, but drivers are probably not that confident that it'll stay that way. Uh, Tom, what's behind the kind of lack of a, a real follow through so far this summer or this spring, I should say? Uh, I, I'd say a couple of things. First of all, you don't have the runaway market in crude. And, uh, you know, we've rejoined the sort of fabulous 60s here for crude oil prices recently. And last year, of course, we went all the way up to $130 a barrel. The other thing that happened last year is that people really kind of lost their sense of direction on gasoline. And it traded for over $50 more than the price of crude. It's actually trading at a pretty hefty premium to the price of crude right now, you know, in some cases, 30 or $40. So it's a good market for refiners, but nobody's going to chase it up as high as it was. You know, the, the strongest trade out there in the commodities market has always been the Arbob trade where you buy it uh, somewhere in the winter bottom and then it peaks in the spring, usually between now and let's say Cinco de Mayo. And if you were matching the average increases seen in the last 33 years, we would be looking at gasoline prices about 50 or 60 cents higher than they are now. But we're not seeing that. We're seeing the cha-cha, uh, although there are some places where things are going to get very, very interesting in the next month. Right. So, again, going back to the, the refining margins you mentioned, not chasing it higher, but still $25, $30 a barrel uh, from a historical context. That's still really, really solid for, for the refiners right now. And uh, with lower gas prices, uh, comparatively speaking, uh, marketers are probably doing pretty well right now as well. So while we let's jump right into it. Let's just go right to the to the prices that we're expecting to see this summer. So right at, as I mentioned before, the, the current average is $3.44, probably about 80 cents less than a year ago call it 19% or so, and all states are below last year. California and Connecticut are actually a dollar below last year. Now, right now, 344. Last year at this time, we were about 425. 
chances are it's going to look nothing like last year. I've already mentioned a couple states that are that are below a dollar. Are we going to see a national average that's a dollar below year ago levels? Yeah, I think we will. I think in some places people will be paying a dollar or dollar fifty or even a dollar seventy five less than what they paid, you know, particularly in May and June of 2022. Uh, there are going to be some hot spots. I mean, Western states are much different from east of the Rockies. And, uh, you know, we're still going to be prone to explosive moves uh, in local jurisdictions. You know, Arizona is a place I've got circled on the calendar. Colorado, if they don't get the uh, Commerce City refinery going up there. But generally, I don't think that anybody's going to be able to make the case that high gas prices are keeping consumers from spending money. There's a lot of other things that might impact that this year. But generally, they'll be able to look back and say, I'm paying a hell of a lot less than I did in 2022. Right. And I was actually going to follow up with the hotspots. You mentioned Arizona. Colorado seems like they're getting a little bit better. Wholesale prices have come down. Retail prices have come down tremendously as well. It really all hinges on uh, Commerce City coming back, the the refinery in in Commerce City outside of Denver, uh, coming back and getting back back to normal. So I just wanted to follow that up. One of the questions we, you and I, always get is, why is premium price so much higher than regular on the street? So, any insights there? Yeah, uh, you know, actually, we tend to think about premium in the wrong way. It's not so much that premium is really expensive; it's that regular get grade is very, very cheap. When we switched to using ethanol as an octane enhancer back in two thousand and six, uh, the octane that uh, companies could make a gasoline blend stock dropped to like eighty three or eighty four uh, octane, and so it's really not so much that. Premium's expensive. It's certainly not demand-driven because uh, premium cars, you know, maybe less than 10% of the fleet demands that. So it's more that there's a lot of cheap hydrocarbons to make the regular grade in various parts of the country. And if you need to get up there to 91, 92, 93 octane, it's very expensive. California doesn't have the crazy premium uh, spreads that you see in other parts of the country because they don't go to 93. They've got a 91 octane gasoline that has to do with, you know, some of the patents that were issued on gasoline, you know, a generation or so ago. Yeah. The Unical patents. I remember hearing about those when I, when I first started covering the West coast. So mm-hmm. um, speaking of, we're going to stick to California for a minute. Again, California has a, always has the tendency to really detach itself from the rest of the country and right now, the governor is pushing for a price gouging bill that would uh, in, bring taxes on to refiners that, that are seen to be making excess profits. Uh, we've reported about it at Opus. What's your thoughts on it? Like, what can, what, what can that do, if anything, to, to retail prices in the, in the short term? My thoughts are that this is an atmospheric river of chaos that's about to descend (laughs) on California. And you really wonder uh, about what constitutes a windfall profit or, you know, a horrible profit. You know, it might be like the obscenity rules. Well, I'll know obscenity when I see it. So the devil is going to be in the details and they are creating quite a few bureaucratic layers. But we haven't seen the numbers now on whether... 
you know, a $30 a barrel or a $50 a barrel margin or whatever. I mean, this is a consequence of what happened in late September and early October when California had the summer grade gasoline and they had a lot of refinery work going on and prices went two and a half dollars higher than the CME Arbot contract. So it's going to be interesting theater as we go forward. Okay, now kind of shifting nationally, what do we think, where do we peak this summer? Uh, do, you know, you said we're going to be a, a dollar or more below at certain times uh, during this year. Where do you think, and again, full disclosure, forecasting what's going to happen 48 hours from now, especially after the last couple of weekends, is incredibly difficult. I'm going to put you on the spot and say what's going to happen three months from now. I, I would say think about baseball. Think about baseball starting next week and think about the best batting averages for the year. And that's probably as far as we go for gasoline prices. Maybe that means 343 for the average or 360. I don't think we have a Ted Williams in the U right. United States market this, this year, with the exception of on the West Coast. So you know, I look at this year and it compares very much to the Arab Spring years of 2011 through 2014. And we would get to 360 or 380. I do think you'll see higher prices over the next 40 days. And that's as we shift to the summer blends, uh, particularly in the Northeast, but in also some other markets. But I don't think we're going to get anywhere near the rarefied air that we uh, reached last year when almost, almost required $2 billion of consumer expenses on gasoline when we got to, to the middle of June. Uh, and I do think there's a huge swath of the country that's serviced by Gulf Coast refineries that'll probably see prices close to $3 and perhaps even less in the second half of the year. Now, a lot of it's going to depend on this Chinese reopening trade. Right now, they're not using the commodities as much as probably were suspected. Uh, but that will happen, and that could make for an odd sort of second half of the year. But driving season, think about, you know, the best baseball players and what their average is, and I think that's where we'll be. Okay. And for those keeping score at home, that Ted Williams was 406? 406, home run in his last at-bat. There you go. So 406, uh, 406 batting average. I don't know if we'll ever see that again, just like we may not for a very, very long time see $5 gasoline prices. So we've talked about prices. Let's let's kind of work our way back towards demand. Uh, really, the benchmark everyone looks at is when will gasoline demand get back to pre-COVID levels? I think you and I agree that comparisons to 2019 and before are going to be really, really tough if they ever happen again. Um, so prices are we're expecting to be low and there's not going to be a consumer backlash or low compared to last year not be a consumer backlash on demand what do we think demand is going to do this summer I, I think demand is probably going to be about even with last year now last year was the year that all the banks screwed up and they said oh the, the consumer won't uh, adapt or use less gasoline unless prices went above six dollars it was one of the greatest modeling mistakes in the history of uh, modern American banks. Uh, the reality is, is that people react with uh, vitriol to high gas prices. I think demand is probably going to be continue to be lumpy. It's been running about one and a half percent below last year, despite the cheaper prices. 
my hunch is that during the driving season, we see demand up around 9.3 million barrels a day, maybe 9.5. It's been about 8.7 so far this year. But uh, there, there's a lot that goes into that. If indeed we do have a recession, now recessions don't impact gasoline demand all that much. But I think that if people are out of work or if people are, are still faced with high inflation elsewhere for the basket of goods they buy, it could be an issue. So I'd say about the demand last year, uh, very, very similar to it, but not trailing off, uh, which is what we saw last year for demand from mid-June really into the fall. And before I follow that up, it's a little past 1210 and the Q&A is open right now. So if you have any questions, please feel free to submit them. Uh, but we're talking about pretty flat demand, maybe a slight tick higher. What are some of those factors that are that are kind of keeping a lid on demand and preventing us from getting back to those kind of pre-COVID levels? Well, the biggest one is is a lack of commuting and lack of returning to the office and working from home. But the other one is the fleet. I mean, the fleet is very, very fuel efficient now. Uh, a small impact, perhaps in about eight states with uh, EV sales picking up, but not anything major there. Uh, so I, I think that, you know, generally the consumer is still a little bit taxed in terms of all of the things he has to buy for food and whatever. But I do think that we'll have what amounts to a driving season, whereas last year we did not. Last year, really, if you looked at uh, April demand numbers and looked at July, you wouldn't know what uh, month you were looking at. Yep. Yep. So, yeah. So in, in that order, it's working from home, vehicle efficiency, then EVs. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think the EV thing is is still, you know, several years away before it has a real massive impact on, on gasoline demand. But certainly vehicle efficiencies, the car's we drive now are, are so much more efficient than, than what they were five, even 10, even five years ago. So, okay, so we got prices, got demand, let's get down to supply and what supplies are gonna look like this summer. Right now, gasoline inventories in the US are running below normal. We've actually seen several uh, weeks in a row in the EIA of, of Energy Information Administration data that showed draws uh, that's probably the system being purged of the high RVP gasoline, the winter grade gasoline, if you will. Uh, we also have several new refineries coming online. ExxonMobil has started a, a, a crude unit at Beaumont, uh, both domestically and internationally. So how will that shape gasoline supplies this summer? And uh, where do we stand in the, the winter, winter, early spring maintenance schedule right now? Well, we're undergoing very extensive maintenance. Uh, it will be over by, let's say, mid-May or certainly early May. And then there's going to be more demand for crude, but there should be more hydrocarbons, whether it be gasoline, jet fuel or diesel. Um, I think we're going to be adding about 410,000 barrels a day of refining capacity. And then most of it is augured to make maximum amounts of diesel. And then internationally, get ready to hear about this big, huge Nigerian refinery, the Dangote refinery. Uh, they're running crude oil for the first time, doing some tests of it now. But that doesn't mean they're going to be making gasoline that meets the specs of the northern Atlantic. That probably is something in 2024. And there are some other huge refineries. When you bring a new refinery up or new refinery equipment, it's easy to make diesel. 
And it's easy to make some of the fuels that the marine shipping uses because all you have to do is boil crude. But to make gasoline that meets the specs of the United States, it's pretty tough. So I think foreign gasoline probably has more of an impact as we go forward. You know, it's interesting. We've got very extensive maintenance. We've got a French refinery strike right now that is really limiting uh, imports. And we're exporting about 400 to 500,000 barrels a day more gasoline than we're importing. And yet the market is doing the cha-cha. So that's telling you something. Yeah. And so going back to the, the spring maintenance, say early May, you know, you mentioned baseball references earlier. So sixth inning, seventh inning, have we gotten to the stretch yet? I think we're in the sixth inning of refining maintenance. There's a lot in April. There's a lot in May. By the way, Circle Arizona in the next few weeks. They've got some refinery work that's happening in El Paso, Texas, and they get product that moves from El Paso to Arizona. And there's another refinery in Artesia, New Mexico, that's undergoing maintenance. And then there's California, where there's problems in making the clean burning gasoline that Arizona uses. So as Temperate as I am on national gasoline prices, watch out in Arizona. You're going to see some $5 numbers there. Wow. Okay. So we, we do see that 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 kind of magic number or unmagic number, whichever way you want to describe it. So, but as, as far as refining is concerned, and, and obviously the supply of gasoline, you know, one of the missing pieces for refineries have been those intermediates that U.S. refiners have become so reliant on from Russia over the past couple of years. And a lot of that stemmed from uh, sanctions on Venezuela and Iran, where they used to get those intermediates. We have at one point, I believe it was about 75 percent of those refinery uh, intermediates were coming from Russia. Um, how are refineries getting by with, you know, how are they finding replacements for that? And, you know, Kind of explain a little bit more about those intermediates yeah. and how important they are. I, I'm going to use a cooking reference here. It's kind of like when you make scrambled eggs and you have eggs, but you also use milk and that gives you more volume. With refining, if you use these intermediates, they're feedstocks that you know run through unsophisticated refineries and they make what's called vacuum gas oil or another intermediate. And if you have a sophisticated refinery, you can turn it into gasoline. That uh, was a contribution from Russia, and they would run it on the East Coast and on the Gulf Coast here, along with some European refineries. It may go, it may be going to China and India and some other places, but we've lost that. So we've kind of lost that ability to swell the volumes with the milk and the scrambled eggs. But I think the market is telling us that economic slowdown is enough that we probably don't need those hydrocarbons and we'll probably get through the driving season without that problem. The problem in the driving season will come if we have an active hurricane season. And I'm in Fort Myers, Florida, so we're not rooting for hurricanes here. No, absolutely not. So again, compared to last year, and you kind of touched on it a little bit at the beginning here, but what does the landscape for U.S. refineries look like uh, especially when we compare it to last year and some of these, you know, kind of epic returns that they saw on refined products, whether it was gasoline, whether it was diesel, whether it was jet fuel. You know, last year was incredibly epic profits for refiners. Again, nothing untoward, but the market afforded them just incredible numbers, particularly in the United States, where refiners have this huge edge in the natural gas costs that they have mm -hmm. being so much lower than Europe 
and in the Far East. So it it was, you know, we saw gasoline margins go over $50 above the price of crude, and we saw diesel eventually trade at $100 a barrel over the price of crude. You know, history shows maybe 10 or 15 or $20 for these relationships. So the relationships were out of whack. They're still a little bit out of whack. I mean, right now, you know, the, the refiners in their first quarter, uh, where they discussed fourth quarter earnings, they talked about, you know, how the uh, the tailwinds were going to be there for a while, and they are. I mean, we're still trading diesel for 40 or $50 over and jet fuel for those sort of numbers and really brisk returns on gasoline, and we haven't started the strong demand season. So I think ultimately that gap between the price of gasoline and crude, though, it's going to narrow like it did last year. And it might come down to about 20 or $25 over as opposed to the 30 and $40 numbers that we're seeing now. There's plenty of capacity to make enough gasoline. The question is what happens if something goes wrong or if you get some uh, of the complex refiners at the Gulf Coast have to close because of power shut-ins, water damage, hurricanes, and so forth. Sure, sure. So, um, so to, to, to kind of follow up on that, you know, you, you mentioned how margins probably not going to be as epic as last year. Still, really, really good from from a historical standpoint. When we get those first quarter earnings calls in, you know, the end of April, early May. Uh, is are are these companies going to get punished for not performing as well as they you know the because the year on year comparisons well that that might be more of a second quarter story, but the comparisons may not look all that great. I got to tell you, I think refining is really really in good shape, uh, you know, for the United States right now. If these numbers were to continue ad infinitum for months, uh, refiners would be very very happy with it. Uh, obviously, out in the West. And in the Rockies, they're particularly high margins. But even in the Northeast, you know, thanks to the French refinery strike and the lack of European imports, it's been a really, really uh, friendly environment. And I think that that probably continues. You know, diesel is a little bit of a question mark because uh, we're trailing last year's demand by about 12.6%. It almost seems to be... uh, telling people that, hey, maybe we're in sort of an industrial or commercial recession right now, whereas gasoline is very very flat to last year, but reasonable consumption. <laughs> so we talked about, you know, retail prices being obviously much lower than than last year. Uh, supply should be fine. Uh, we think refinery operations are, are, are good, especially as we come out of the, the maintenance season. But what can really kind of alter this? I know you mentioned hurricanes earlier. Are there any other uh, events that are, I don't know if you want to call them unforeseeable, but what alters the the kind of calculus for us and, and what we expect on prices this summer? Well, you know, in the western half of the country, you really have to worry about heat. Uh, refineries are not built for ambient temperatures in the upper 90s. And we saw that not last year, but a couple of summers ago where he had 98 degrees in Billings and 100 degrees in the Pacific Northwest. And right. they could not operate at those those numbers. And you could have all sorts of different problems come about. 
uh, you know, we've got plenty of Gulf Coast refining capacity. Again, we're going to be adding several hundred thousand barrels a day here over, you know, the transition between the first and the second quarter. The West Coast is different and the Rocky Mountains are different. Uh, they've seen some explosive growth in population and they don't have the capacity in refining. And it remains to be seen what happens in California uh, as they go with what the industry probably thinks are pretty onerous regulations. You know, that might mean that if somebody has a, a unit problem or an issue uh, and they get knocked out, they may not restart. So I think if I could translate that is, you know, if you're supplied by a Gulf Coast refinery, for example, and one, maybe even two go offline for whether some sort of unplanned man, uh, unplanned maintenance, probably going to make only a baby, maybe a little ripple in the marketplace. Uh, yeah. But California... Colorado, the Pacific Northwest, even some of the Midwest states, if, if they have a one refinery out of maybe two or three that might be servicing that, that, that market, you could be kind of off to the races, if you will. Yeah, it, it's going to be an interesting year, but I, I think it will largely may be a much more temperate year. Now, you might see something this summer that really seems odd. You might be able to go to Louisiana, Alabama, or Texas and buy gasoline for two ninety nine, mm-hmm. and then go out to California or Pacific Northwest and see it at $5 or, you know, in Arizona in a couple of weeks, maybe at $5. Uh, and that's because of, you know, I, I remember in Earth and Space Science, they said weather is the uneven heating of the Earth. And we've got very uneven heating or uneven distribution of refined products in the yeah. United States. There you go. And, and like you said earlier, a couple of years ago, uh, extreme heat in the summertime, not good for refineries in the Northwest and Montana and places like that. Just like really cold winter weather in Texas is not good for refineries on the Gulf Coast. Yeah. One other thing I want to mention, and we haven't written this story, but, you know, I believe that there's something to this. You know, we had the great American work shortage in a lot of different industries. And when you think about refining maintenance, what people don't realize is is that sometimes, and I remember this during COVID, you have two, three, four hundred people come into a refinery to do all sorts of work to make sure that refinery is going to be in working order for the next three years. And it appears as though we have a shortage of those workers. We saw it manifest itself with Winter Storm Elliott on Christmas weekend, where we couldn't get back up after that polar vortex hit a lot of refineries. And my sources tell me that that's because there just aren't that many people in that labor force that take care of making sure refineries uh, go through the motions they need to go through every three or four years or so, or if they have untoward problems that they could uh, fix them uh, to sweet. Great. So I'm going to go through some of the questions that we've uh, that we've received already. And again, this one's a little bit of a different feel, but I think you kind of touched on it a little bit. And this one's from Ernie. But do you anticipate a build in diesel inventories? Yeah, I think, you know, I mean, there's two schools of thought on this. One is that the uh, the Russian loss of refined products manifests itself in the second quarter. It did not in the first quarter because. Uh, of the winter that wasn't in Europe and because there were a a lot of Russian barrels that were uh, 
accumulated in storage in January and February. I'm not so sure. I think diesel, you know, probably languishes here for a while because May is traditionally the weakest month on the planet's calendar for for diesel. And again, if you look at U.S. demand, uh, it's lagging and it's lagging in those commercial areas. Home building is not what it should be. And so that is very, very diesel intensive. So I do think we'll get some bills. And also to your point, if I'm a refiner and I'm looking at my margins for making diesel and jet fuel versus gasoline, I'm going to be a max distillate mode, as they say. Yeah, you know, there's a there's a there's a lot of people out there that don't understand refining, and they think it's like a ceiling fan where you switch to maximum diesel and mass maximum gasoline, like you pull the switch there. The reality is is that if you work for a U.S. refinery and you haven't been maximizing the diesel yield in the last uh, 15 months, you're probably fired. So yeah. they're all trying to make as much diesel. And jet fuel is possible. Gasoline is, to a certain extent, the unwanted hydrocarbon, but they're fortunate that it's selling for a good price now. Yeah, I mean, unwanted at $30 over, over crude is not, not so bad, actually. Yeah, so, no, these, are, these are terrific margins. Now, they have a lot of risks, and uh, you know, opportunity can really retreat very, very quickly. Okay, great. So this one's from Glenn. Uh, is the correlation between gasoline and diesel prices, and I'm expecting, I think he means, you know, the the, the, the widespread between them, expected to continue? And yeah, how I think, I think diesel will will sell for a premium price versus gasoline uh, most of the time, although on the West Coast and in some of the local markets, you might not see that. You know, one of the reasons why you, you don't see the relationship, you can... You can take diesel and crack it and make gasoline. Right. Nobody's figured out how to take gasoline and do anything to it chemically right. or reform it to make diesel. So that's one of the issues. And certainly internationally, diesel is the molecule that's got the highest growth trajectory. The magic molecule. And then a little bit of a follow-up on that is how will increased ethanol blends impact gasoline prices? You know, I, I don't think ethanol is going to uh, have a huge impact on it this year. Next year, we'll see some more ethanol and maybe some more E15 blends, 15% ethanol. Mm -hmm. Ethanol's got wonderful, wonderful octane, uh, but, you know, it's got some problems for vapor pressure in the summer. And the other problem is that it can't get that much traction other than with the real huge new era retailers who have a lot of capital because a lot of companies don't have the equipment where they could sell a 15% ethanol blend on the street. Uh, but it is, you know, generally it has brought down the price of, of gasoline uh, for the last few years. And I suspect that'll continue this year. Great. Okay. So uh, this one's from Skip. A lack of liquidity and challenge logistics often limit trade flow into and out of the Rocky Mountains. Will this insulate Pad 4 from some of the downward pressure you expect to see on prices across the U.S.? Well, I know that there's companies that are looking right now to stage rail uh, of barrels of gasoline or diesel into some Rockies points. Uh, I would submit the Rockies is one part of the country that's a little bit short on refining capacity. And they probably have the greatest difference between peak demand and the EBA demand. You know, in the wintertime, Salt Lake City, Montana, Wyoming, 
Uh, there's very, very poor demand for gasoline. And in the summertime, everybody's going to national parks and prices tend to be high. So it's a good place to operate as a refiner. That's for sure. Nice niche. And I don't think you really have to worry too much about EV intrusion if you're in Wyoming, Montana, Idaho, <laughs> and those states. Yeah, probably not many of those going on out there. So, um, and this will switch up a little bit to look at it from a little bit more of an international perspective. But Carlos asks, the Das Bocas refinery in Mexico, uh, will that cause less gasoline to be purchased and from, from places like, like the Gulf Coast in Texas? Uh, how does that play out? Well, here's how it plays out. Das Bocas is, it's kind of like when you have a shovel-ready uh, plan and you're showing someone putting the shovel in the ground. And sometimes it takes a long time to where you can have the products. And I think that's what we're going to see with Das Bocas. I think that the coming attractions or the trailer for the movie is preceding the actual movie where they're going to be able to make on-spec North American gasoline or diesel. So I don't think it has much of an impact this year. Next year it does. It's very similar to the Nigerian refinery in that you're going to see a lot of coming attractions and people are going to get excited about it's starting up. But it's one thing to boil crude. It's another thing to make gasoline on spec. There you go. So uh, this one gets into a little bit, you know, kind of company specific, but we've been writing them about them a little bit in the in the form of joint ventures. But Richard asks, how big of a player is BP in the United States? Well, BP is a, a big player. Uh, they don't have the refining that they did years ago because they sold off quite a bit. And the interesting thing about BP, and it brings up, a, a, you know, one of the movements we're seeing out there is BP has always acted like an investment bank in that it has a trading operation, which is very much into directional and opportunistic trading. The one interesting thing is, and they've run into some trouble through the years with that, is now you have ExxonMobil and perhaps another major, and they're looking to look at trading and to generate profits as opposed to just to supplement their supply. That's going to be an interesting situation. It's one thing for an international trading company like Vitola Trafagura to say that they think that crude oil is valued well or undervalued. It's another thing for an ExxonMobil to do that. And they're going to try to move into that area. But I, I think there's some skepticism about whether they'll be able to make that transition. Okay, so uh, here's one uh, from, and I, I apologize if I'm not pronouncing your, your first name first name correctly, uh, Srinivasan. Uh, we just are really kind of coming out of it, but what's the outlook for heating oil? And I think this is probably next winter, the winter after that, and winter after that. You know, if heating oil retailers in the Northeast uh, had their receivables, if they weren't chasing after all the bills, you know, from people having to pay five and six dollars for heating oil this winter, they'd probably be best advised to lock in prices for next winter because the numbers are pretty good. You know, they're they're in the low twos on wholesale basis, which would indicate retail prices less than four dollars or so. The reality is, is that, you know, they don't have the wherewithal to do that right now because they don't have the receivables. Too many people in New England, you know, are in arrears and paying uh, for their prices. And but I would submit that, you know, there is a very good chance that that winter that was averted by the U.S. Northeast and Europe this year comes back 
and take some casualties in the 2023-24 winter. It's something to watch. And again, these numbers right now might be just a generational opportunity to lock in some of those prices. Okay, so that's on heating oil. Uh, here's one from Gerard. Do you see refinery closures uh, beyond Lyondell in Houston uh, at the end of the year and their impact on gasoline prices? I don't see refinery closures beyond Lyondell. I do think Lyondell is going to close. I think that if you had an accident, and God forbid we had this, but if you had that in some geographies, certainly not the U.S. Gulf Coast, there might be a closure because there is the moment where you worry about it being a stranded asset. So, I, you know, I think on balance, refining will be okay. Uh, I think, you know, there's great, great profit potential there. Uh, but I think that if you had an accident and you lost something, you know, uh, a fire explosion, you know, something similar to what happened with the Husky refinery in Wisconsin a few years ago, it might not get rebuilt. Right. right. So, okay. I think we have time for one more and this is from Peter. And again, this is kind of looking at a little bit, how high do you expect oil prices to go by labor day? Uh, in parentheses says a hundred dollars a barrel with a question mark. Um, I think last week, and to a certain extent this morning, probably represented one of the greatest buying opportunities to get crude oil at really, really uh, wonderful numbers based on history. And when I look at it and I look at Chinese reopening, I know that people love to make fun of the Goldman Sachs bullish calls and some of the other bullish calls. But I think there's some great, great scholarship in those costs so or those calls. So I think that basically, you know, this interlude in the 60s, we may have one other visit where we test the lows, but it's kind of the 2023 version of April 2020 where everybody wishes they had locked in some prices. Right. April 2020, when we went negative on that one final day of the, the May contract trading. So yeah, we'll never go negative again. That was really kind of something that had to do with the intricacies of trading and some things that, uh, you know, created that, but it was certainly a generational buying opportunity. Yeah. And it was obviously an expiration day. So, you know, most expiration days, all bets are off, but essentially. So mm -hmm. uh, unfortunately that's all the time we have for today. Uh, thank you all for being here. Thank you for the questions, Tom. Thanks for, for spending some time with us and our audience. Thank you for tuning in. And be sure to join us again on Monday for when Barron's deputy editor, Ben Levinson, and Barron's senior writers, Al Root and Nicholas Jasinski, discuss the outlook for financial markets, Ford's EV plans, and what's next for the Federal Reserve. Thank you again and have a great weekend. The energy transition is a long and winding road and it needs to be taken step by step. Learn more at SiemensEnergy.com.